Hi, this is Colin from Worse in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get in some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worse in the Industry are our own, and in no way are representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network or Planet Ant as an organization, even when we're right. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Can I talk my shit now? I was playing two-hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now. When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town. Run up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you better sit down. Yeah. Ain't nothing fancy, I'm still broke. Cross town like Yancey, I will throw. They say I'm in a spot they would kill for. I could put them in the wheel and they still won't. Get a deal with coke. If I wasn't rapping about the past back, dealing dope. Got the offer and it's real low. Over one minute. Okay. I had a great oh, moment in the kitchen with my mom earlier today. Oh boy. She, it's we we were it's um you know sure trying sorry for not keeping this episode evergreen but it's July fourth when we're recording this uh and happy birthday America yeah, we date fucking, the, the show all the time yeah, like we, we like reference the exact like date and time that we record like in half of the episodes yeah constantly um yeah so I was I was in the kitchen and my mom wanted me to open up and peel a couple of avocados all right cool I need a spoon and. I think that this perfectly shows the disconnect between, like, the older and the younger generation. Because I, I walked into my mom's kitchen. And I go, hey, mom, I need a spoon for the avocados. And she goes, all right, cool. She goes into one of her drawers and she pulls out, um, well, she calls it an avocado peeler. No. What it is is it's a knife. Well, give me a soup spoon. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a knife that has, like, a fucked up melon baller on the end with spikes yeah, on the inside because yep. apparently you can't use the knife to pull out the you pit just like smack a normal it. you human smack being. it you twist it and it pulls um, around and i go no mom i just need a spoon for the avocado and she goes and she grabs me a like a serving spoon and just hands it <sighs> and i just i look at her and i just go patrick the lid <laughs> Just give me a, su- a soup it. spoon. A soup spoon. A, a soup. No, give me a give me a spoon so we can scoop out the avocado. And she still needed a couple of minutes to be like, "What are you? What are you? What are you asking for?" I love you. I am asking she... for a spoon. Yeah. Or if you really want to be part of the proletariat, you just squish that bitch. You, you just start at the top and just. I'm such a lovely person. Like, I don't know what my expectations were, like leading up to meeting her, but whatever they were, they were wrong because she's like a very sweet, genuine. Like, kind of, like, corny in a very, like, charming way. Like, your mom is great. Yeah, um, yeah. Sh- All that said, send her to the gulag. That bitch <laughs> needs to break rocks in the desert. <laughs> well, I love you. I'm so sorry. I love her so much. <laughs> I She's also great... had the moment where, like, what? Mom. Like, what She's is this warm. Thing? She's inviting. She's a what gracious host. Put her on a penal colony. Put her on <laughs> a penal colony. <laughs> Anybody who owns, like, it's, you want to know what an avocado peeler is? It's a knife. It's yeah, a, it's knife. a knife. That's the if only you tool own you need. Maybe a Big spoon. knife. Big knife. And then you smack the, the wooden ball, which what? I'm going to say, they need to start giving away better fucking prizes in these goddamn things than wooden balls. <laughs> they were the compromise when we outlawed Kinder Eggs. You got to keep the avocados. <laughs> yeah, it's, you can't, it's harder to choke on an avocado pit. Can't, kids can't really swallow them. 
<laughs> the idea of an avocado, like, I, I'm sure you guys, you guys are fucking nerds. Yeah, so I'm sure yeah. you liked Good Eats on the Food Network. Mm. Oh, yeah, you, oh, you yeah, guys, you guys had still one of my favorite chefs. Yeah, you guys had dads who were just like drinking whiskey at ten at night watching Food Network. So, <laughs> uh, like obviously Alton Brown is like kind of shitty and has like bad politics and personal opinions. Yeah, no, he's he's a liberous little liberal, but well, he's uh, a uh, Christian. Oh well, yeah, a, you can be like both. a like a very out and about yeah. Anyway, but like the one of the the pieces of advice that I've like I've like taken to heart is do not bring a fucking unituler into your goddamn kitchen. If a if a thing only does one thing and it and other things can do that thing that don't just do that one thing, it shouldn't be in your kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. The only exception is like a citrus press garlic because press. I use a lot of citrus. Is garlic, garlic press. presses also save I don't like a gar- garlic presses for me, they feel kind of wasteful. I feel like I'm not getting all my garlic. It's, you and gotta get just a quality don't... one. You gotta get a quality I... one that pushes everything through. Hey man, the only garlic press I need. Those God gave me two of them. Mitts. God gave me two of them, baby. Or you could uh, was you could uh, roast the roast the garlic and then it turns into that like paste. You know? Well, yeah, but you don't oh, want I... feed it in the yeah. oh. in the paper. I mean, you can roast you can, it. Oh no! Wait, what do you mean you don't confit it in the paper? Yeah, you can. No, you don't. You confit. You can't, if, if you confit, you, you just do the all whole fucking thing. If you're roasting, half. if you're roasting and not confiting, if it's not completely well, yeah, submerged in oil, you you keep it in the paper. But if you keep it in the paper and then confit, all you gotta do is like pull the butt off and then you just squeeze them out. Squeeze and there's like out. little to no waste. Uh, well, it's yeah, still very there's, efficient. There's zero waste if you just peel it before you confit. Yeah, well, that's more work. I yeah, mean, but that's that's a that's dope. a lot of tedious work, though. It's not. It's not hard to peel garlic. It is if you're or you not could, smashing or you could just, it. Or you could just throw it in the oven and then just fucking squeeze that. Bit. Anyway, exactly. If you're because if you're not, you don't want to activate the Allison every time. Sometimes you want a more mild you garlic have to flavor. Do that to peel garlic. How are you easily? peeling garlic manually without smashing it? Is tedious. I mean, yeah, everything in cooking is tedious. No, it's well, not. That's the point. Okay. Tyler, speaking, what's the episode? Speaking, speaking of, of tedious bullshit. Like tedium. It's, yeah, speaking of Uncle Corner. Speaking uh, of killing people when you can't be caught. Speaking of committing crimes that nobody will ever discover. Colin, you know you'd get caught. I won't. Anyway, I'd turn myself in. And pull it's, it at Edmund Kemper. the same thing. Um, yeah, Edmund Kemper. I'm just like, ah, I can't keep doing this. It, nah, it's, you know what, you would, you would definitely... You, you <laughs> ah, would, jeez, looks would like I killed another bride. your way into it, be like, you can't, can't tell I, would, I am from this, Okay, right? do you think, first of all, do you think I'd ever trust the police? No. Second of all, do you think I'd ever ask them an earnest question? No, I'd come to no, you No, but guys. I think it would definitely be something like that. Or no, I'd be like... Just, we would get something wrong. And also, you're saying you'd come to us like you're implying that one of us is not the murder victim. I mean, I'm saying you guys to keep it ambiguous so that you're not on the lookout. That's anyway. <laughs> anyway. All right, all right. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome back once again to Worst in the Industry, the show where we three fallow fields attempt to expel all of our truth dust out into the atmosphere of this 1930s America that we have somehow found ourselves back into. My name is Justin St. Peter, and I like those old converted cars that make really bad houses and campers. I think they're fun. To my left... I'm Colin Dust Devil Stanley. I'm one of those rubber hose cartoon characters that is that's a stereotype for an ethnic group that doesn't exist anymore. To my left, 
Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm currently drinking uh, Moscato with frozen raspberries in it. And it's, uh, it's pretty good. Ooh, what a fancy boy. Enjoying myself. So, where, where after we last now? week's mishap... Um, <laughs> did you did you post about that, by the way? Did you no. let anybody know? No. Yeah, so Tyler... Uh, it's. I'm going to preface this by saying this is not the first time this has happened, and Tyler's not the first person to do it. So we're not throwing shade, but occasionally... It happens. One of us forgets to write an episode. Yeah, I thought somebody else was, so... Yep, uh, we have a calendar now. Yep. But so, that will be shared with you guys after the show. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's inside baseball. Today. <laughs> talking about a man named Victor Lustig. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, he Vic- sure sounds real horny. So, uh, Victor Lustig was born January 4th, 1890 in Hostin, Bohemia, Austria, Hungary. Ah! Definitely horny. <laughs> which is currently present-day Czech Republic. Oh, he was born in the Sudetenland. Interesting. Hey, hey, get out of my living room. Mr. Lustig, uh, he grew up exceptionally poor in a small stone house in a village surrounding a Baroque clock in the, uh, I got the pronunciation here. Karkonishi Mountains? Thanks, that's, I don't fucking know. How do you spell it? K-R-K-O-N-O-S-E it's, uh, I think it means it smells like sauerkraut up here I looked up the pronunciation and that's what they gave me So, there we go We don't speak German here as yeah. previously... he would, he, he I got would the go... name of that company right, you motherfucker You named the, you named the, I'm sorry, I gotta Now that we're talking about krauts again It's coming <laughs> oh, on from Sulker, I've held this in the whole time you made the title of the episode, We Don't Speak German, when I literally spent, like, an hour, a fucking hour of my time going, Algesellschaft, 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 just trying to fucking nail it, and I got it, and it's right, in the episode, I say it correctly, and then you're like, oh, we don't know how to speak German, fuck Yeah, you, you wanna know why? Because there's about a dozen other German words that we pronounce incorrectly in that episode. Well, hey, I got at least one of them. Maybe two, technically. Fuck off. Yeah. So, um, he would he would go on to call his parents. Um, in later his later life, he would call them the poorest peasant people. Even though part of his schemes involved him telling people that his dad was the mayor of the town. <laughs> the Meisterberger. Um, My father was was the Meisterberger of this small town in the Sudetenland, which should be part which of shall Germany. Live, <laughs> shall live forever the Sudetenland. So, um. In the early 1900s, as a teenager, Lustig scampered up the criminal ladder, progressing from panhandler to pickpocket to burglar to street hustler. Ooh, okay. According to the man, yeah, very very strict hierarchy. (laughs) According to the True Detectives Mysteries magazine, he perfected every card trick known: palming, slipping cards from the deck, dealing from the bottom. And by the time he reached adulthood, Lustig would go on to make a deck of cards to do everything but talk. To do everything what year was he born again? You said 1890. 1890, yeah. Oh, man, I, he better never go to the Old West. He'll be shot to death. <laughs> so, um, also in this uh, True Detective Mysteries uh, magazine, there's a quote. Uh, they said, Lustig was a man who, quote, society took by one hand the underworld by another, a flesh and blood, Jekyll and Hyde. Yet he treated all women with respect. On November 3rd, 1919, he married a 
pretty Kansas, a pretty Kansasan named Robeta Nore. A memoir by Lustig's late daughter now recalls how Lustig secretly had a family on whom he lavished all his ill-gotten gains. The rest he spent on gambling and on his lover, Billy May Sheeble, the buxom owner of a million-dollar prostitution racket. So you're saying that his biggest crime was putting the put pussy on a pedestal? He Man, told that this guy was horny. Way funnier if I didn't fumble that shit. Wow. So um, he was known as an incredibly smooth man. He could effortlessly, effortlessly, eff, I'm not smooth. I did it to you. He too. could, he could effortlessly, eff, eff, shoot me in the fucking head. Effortlessly talk to anyone into doing whatever he wanted. And he even wrote the Ten Commandments for con men, which I will now read. Please Number do. one, it's the ten crack commandments. That's Number one, I... <laughs> don't put the pussy on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Never put the pussy on a pedestal. <laughs> Number one, be a patient listener. If it is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coups. Two, never look bored. Three, wait for the other person to reveal any political's opinion and then agree with them. Four, let the other person reveal religious views and then have the same ones. Hint at sex talk. But don't follow it up unless the other person shows a strong interest. Never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Never pry into a personal person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you it all eventually. Never boast. Just let the importance be quietly obvious. Never be untidy. And never get drunk. This is literally just like sales tactics. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. This is like literally what I learned to do when I was like, does your son need a laptop? Yep. So, when he was 19, he would take a break from studying in Paris, and he took up gambling. Uh, during this time, he got a wicked scar to the side of his face from a jealous boyfriend of a woman he was courting. Oh, he, got, he was in a duel? He wasn't no, in he a duel, he just got, got cut. Oh, no, sick. he just got cut. Um, we could just say he, he went to the Prussian Military Academy, then. He would go on to be known to detectives in more than 40 American cities as the Scarred. Which is probably one of the coolest names. Oh, of course. That's fucking badass. It's not a good nickname. I don't know. The Scarred. It sounds like a fucking... It sounds like a villain we would come up with for a D&D campaign. It's it's the Scarred. The Scorned One. It's like playing the pronoun game. It's like the way, like, indie games nowadays, they're just, like, running out of, like, interesting, like, things and enemies. So they're like, it's the Blighted. It's the the Cursed. It's the Scarred. The Loathsome Dung Eater. Yeah, you know. The loathsome. They're not an indie eater. game. So no, but they're also running out of ideas. Well, yeah, yeah, that's they, why they, had they George brought George R. 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 Martin. In. They had to and get him in the studio. He contributed nothing. You don't no, know the loathsome dung eater. No, apparently he wrote like the like he wrote a bunch of stuff for him, like background information. Oh, I'm sure he did. That's why it makes no fucking yeah. sense. But anyway, <laughs> I don't give a that, shit. that's why you it's... still have to dig through item descriptions to find any hint of the story. Yeah, so... It's, I don't think it's a bet. Anyways, we, we don't have time for this. Yeah, so uh, his first big cons uh, were committed on ocean liners sailing between France and New York City. Smart. One of his most successful ones that he would pull uh, <laughs> was he would convince rich people that he was selling them an investment opportunity in a non-existent Broadway show. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So He's he, both of the producers. So he... James Cameron made a movie about the Titanic, and not, not this guy, who is, like, a way more interesting version of Leonardo uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's fucking character in that movie. Yeah. It's Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio's character mixed with fucking Max Bialystok. Oh, man. Yep. 
So, life was not too grand for Victor soon and after, though, because unfortunately so. there was a small global conflict that suspended the transatlantic civilian travel uh, called World War One. Really, I don't know if really you guys puts have a heard bummer of it. on a guy's con. So this is one of those consequences I've been hearing so much about. Interesting. Exactly. Yes, these are these are one of the consequences of World War One. He's like, I can't yeah. keep running my boat crime. World War World War Two and its consequences. Out so, of the ocean, there are no laws. <laughs> that is only maritime Into law. The sea. <laughs> Into the dream. I wonder if he ever you. used that as like a justification where he's like, Well, I committed all these crimes in the open ocean, so technically I didn't do it in anybody's jurisdiction. It's not a crime. He didn't get arrested for it. No so. crimes upon the sea, my friend. So, um... Because the implication. Before the we get into his more interesting scams, we're going to talk about one of his earliest, most successful, and the one he did the most. Okay. Which is called a money box, or a Romanian box. R-U-M-A-N-I-A-N box. I don't think it's like a slur... But I don't know. No, it's. I think it's like a like an axe. You know how like if you read H.P. Lovecraft, like yeah. they'll put like instead of O, it's like A E, because yeah. it's trying to denote an accent. I think it's shit like that where it's like just like a dated spelling because people would say it differently. Yeah. So what he would do is he would build these this like cedar box. It was like the size of like a steamer box, like a pretty big box. Yeah. And it was full box. of. It was full of a bunch of, like, complicated levers and brass dials to make it look fancy. And he claimed it could duplicate money with radium. With ra- he, It could duplicate money with radium. Radium. It, so, yeah. So, one, not only did this guy invent the concept of Greebles, as we know and love in sci-fi <laughs> today. It's for those of you who aren't aware, Greebles are like, if, if you look at a Star Wars spaceship... And you wonder what all those little bits and bobs that don't... You're not quite sure what they do, but they add texture to the thing is. Those are called greebles. And that's exactly what they do, is they add texture and nothing else. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like when, when I watch any of the new Star Wars movies, I'm like, that's a fuel injection system for a Volkswagen. Yeah, oh yeah, they just take stuff and then they glue it to other things. Well, thank like, what? That looks thank- sci-fi. Well, Tyler, thank God they put it on a Y-Wing, because otherwise it's just going go to go to waste. You can't drive a Volkswagen in space. Exactly. So, <laughs> so he claimed that this could duplicate money with radium, and what they would do is they would put in, like, a $5 bill, and then he would secretly put in another $5 bill, and then it would come out with two $5 bills. And then the person was like, would be like, wow, that's incredible. And he would even, like, take people to the bank and be like, tell them it's a real dollar. And then he would sell them the box. (laughs) Then he would sell them the box for an incredible amount of money. Oh, my God. I love this guy. (laughs) Okay, honestly, at this point, he's still not committed a crime. No, this guy is great. I I love this guy. Like The reason why I want to do this guy is because he's phenomenal. I just love the fact that he's, like, doing all of this crazy shit. He's only fleeced rich people. Yeah. And anybody dumb enough to, he like, why would he a only guy fleece rich people? Why would a guy who could him. invent an infinite money box ever sell the box? Yeah, I know. You're, if he could just he's print always money. at a loss. If you sell the yeah. box, you're at a loss. If he could just duplicate money, he would just continue to duplicate money. Why does he would just be doing that all day? So like, there's the the idea that like somebody could be scammed by this. If you could, you deserved it. And yeah. I don't think that should be a crime. Yeah, so... Um, we're also... <laughs> you know, I'm going to mention this guy briefly. Yeah, Ted Bundy never committed a crime because he tricked all those women first. 
So, um, we're going to talk about a guy who's probably one of my favorite side characters in this, which okay. I will only mention him once, but I just love him so much. So he would give shows on the side of the street in New York City with his partner in crime, Dapper Dan Collins, who is described as described as a former circus lion tamer and death-defying bicycle rider. I'm Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan Collins. Dapper Dan Collins. Um, so yeah, he would put in an extra bill and duplicate their money and then would sell them the box. But the smart thing he did was he would stuff some extra bills in there. Oh, so that way it would... So that way it would give him enough time to, to fucking dip out of there. Yeah, give, give him just enough time to get the fuck out of town back when you can still get out of town. Exactly. When that's so, all you had to do to, like, escape going to prison was, like, leave town, and shave your mustache, keep, and buy a yeah. new hat. Keep him busy for, like, 20 minutes, and then just leave. And just go. Just get on your horse and fuck off, because there's oh. no way they're ever going to find you. I wish yep. you could still do that shit. I wish you could still be like, well, I've annihilated my entire family. Time to move two towns over. Yep. <laughs> Time it's... to turn, move two towns over. Change my name to Dapper Dan Collins, and now I'm a death-defying bicycle rider. And now I'm a trapeziist. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I hate ge- I hate geometry. Dapper I tell Dan you what, listeners, if we could still do that, we sure shit wouldn't be making this podcast. Oh my nope. god, I would have committed so much insurance fraud. Holy shit. Oh my god. I, so there'd be a rash of buildings on fire in my wake. <laughs> so. Um, then in 1925, Victor was staying in France for a little while, and he came across a newspaper article that intrigued him. And I feel like this is where the name of the episode is going to come from. So he was saying, uh, or sorry, the newspaper article was saying how the French government was having issues maintaining the Eiffel Tower. The <laughs> monument was falling into disrepair, and they couldn't pay the astronomical costs of maintaining it and repainting and, you know, all that bullshit. Hmm. And well, a lot of the public... I know, they were having trouble God. maintaining the rifle tower. Thank God. So, much of the public was actually calling for it to be dismantled. So, Let's get that ugly thing out of here. The French? So, he prepared his research, and after hiring a forger to make some fake government stationery for him, he called a bunch of scrap metal businessmen to the Hotel de Crillon to hold a meeting in secrecy. He claimed to be the deputy director of Ministry and Post and Telegraph, and during the course of the meetings, he convinced these businessmen that the upkeep of the Eiffel Tower was too much, and the French, wa- the French government wanted to sell it for scrap metal, and told them that due to public outcry, the details could not be exposed to the public. Oh my god. Is this this me? motherfucker! This, this it is was the same this guy! guy. Mm-hmm. This guy reminds me of the it's guy the who would guy. sell the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, I got a bridge to this, sell you. This is, is this, is Yeah, this... you want that bridge? <laughs> it's yours. Well, you guys know about that guy. I can't yeah, remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, he'd be like, oh, like, hey, if you, like, I can sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, and then you can set up, like, people would, like, set up toll booths, and mm-hmm. then the NYPD would have to be like, come and tear him down, like, this, once a this day. This is a public bridge. Like, you can't set up a toll booth here. <laughs> what a brilliant man. Oh, this guy's so, a genius. I love him. He's scared yeah. of the French. He's oh, scamming yeah. rich people. He's A-OK in my book. Yeah, it's so, worst in the industry friend of the show. Friend yep. of, like, can we get him on the podcast? Can we get a fourth chair? So, <laughs> he, uh, he claimed to be in charge of selecting the dealer that would then take ownership of the monument. And they had all been carefully selected as honest businessmen. His speech also included how the Eiffel Tower did not fit in with the other monuments in the city, such as the Gothic uh, cathedrals and the Arc de Triomphe. 
So, I, I which mean, it doesn't. He's right. He's he not does, wrong. Yeah. It's a big modernist, colossal, you know, I won't say monstrosity because I do think it's beautiful. It's but, pretty. Uh, it doesn't fit. Yeah, like, it. at the time, they're like, this. Is, it's like if you looked at, like, an electrical tower. Like, we, the part of Michigan we grew up in, like, a bunch of the suburbs are just, like, cut through with these giant, ugly, industrial electric Yeah, yeah it's just those Massive fucking drainage eels. ditches and not, yeah. And so, it's like, it was like, okay, you put one in the most beautiful city in the world right in the fucking middle, right on the yeah. river, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but after, after this speech, uh, bids started coming in. But he didn't accept the bid from just anybody. He accepted a bid from one man, Andre Poisson. A meek man who wanted to rise up to the heights of the other hoity-toity scrap metal dealers. Ah, yes, the hoitiest and toitiest. What was his last name? Poisson. Poisson? His his name is Andy Fish? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Andy the Fish! Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking I could buy I could buy the Eiffel Tower, you know. I could buy it, you know, guys, I could get it. I could buy it. I, I, would, I was thinking, I take all that scram metal and I make a big tuna, alright? Yeah. Then nobody ever make fun of Andy the Fish ever again! Isn't it crazy that this made him go to the United States and become Albert Fish? Um, <laughs> oh, the gray man. <laughs> so, so, so the bid started flying in, and and he accepted it from this Andre guy. Yeah. And uh, during the, a private meeting between Andre and Victor, Victor convinced him. He was like, "Hey, listen, I'll just give you the Eiffel Tower. All you got to do is pay me off. I like, I'll, you just got to pay me off, and I'll just give it to you. All right." You should tug me off, and I'll give it to you. So this guy gave him 70,000 francs. Wow. Which is the uh, equivalent of, like, just under $100,000 in today's money. Yeah, I was about to say, what year is this? Uh, this was 1925. Yeah. Jesus fuck. So, and also, Fella so, was 35 years old at this point. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep, so um, he immediately Christ. took the bribe and then just fucking went back to Austria. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. keep money and run. So, he did because he's smart. Fucking... He's smart. He does the thing that we keep saying people to do. That's he right. takes the money and gets the fuck out of there. You got paid. Get out. Mm-hmm. Take go your back and leave. Go back home to the Sudetenland where nothing bad will ever happen. Exactly. Yeah, just hang out there and just like chill. Don't definitely like turn your back to Germany. Like look the yeah. other way. <laughs> also, don't except look for when me. you're don't, going into Poland. Don't look for me coming, because I will so, be coming. So, um, Victor knew, Victor knew that this Andre dude wouldn't want the public to know about this because that would be pretty fucking embarrassing. Yeah. So he kept like looking at newspapers and it never came up. Like it literally nothing ever happened. Yeah. It was never like, Oh, we sold the Apple tower. So, uh, less than a year later, uh, he went back to Paris to do it again. Just but like this the Brooklyn t- bridge, bridge guy. Oh my god, he's just like, yeah, well, it worked once, why wouldn't I do it again? Yeah, yeah so um, he went Nothing back to Paris. Happened. He went back to Paris, tried to do it again, but this time they realized what was going yeah, on. that sucks. Um, his ruse was found out, but luckily he was able to scurry away to the good old USA to get in the big leagues. I mean, the French, historically, their law enforcement, you know... It's the Benny Hill theme. It's a lot of... They and the English both have a problem with doing things well. Yep. So... So he got to the USA. 
he immediately built a money box and sold it to a Texas sheriff for a couple thousand dollars. Mm. And after he, after the sheriff realized he got tricked, the sheriff followed him to Chicago. And um, upon cornering Victor, he gave the sheriff a huge sum of cash as compensation, and the sheriff went on his merry way, later to find out that all of the money was counterfeit. Incredible. Absolutely That's incredible. So glad you brought this up. I'm actually in the middle. Currently, I'm, I'm writing a, a short novella called uh, uh, All Texans Are Pussies, and there's an entire chapter about how anybody who's ever lived in Texas for uh, more than a generation, uh, your IQ drops by 50 points. So yep. I'm glad that history is proving me right. I just like how this elected official like went on this personal vendetta for about a thousand miles because he was yep. too stupid to not realize he was being duped. I mean, it's Texas. They're not known for you know much besides uh, being awful. Hey, Patrick, yep. what am I? Stupid. No, I'm Texas. What's the, the difference? difference? I can't keep throwing SpongeBob voice in here. I'm Honestly, no, because the the amount of times it's been on the show, we definitely like owe royalties to Dan Schneider. Oh yeah, like, I don't want to pay that rapist. That's all right, Stephen. Allegedly, Dan Schneider, Allegedly. Stephen Hillenburg. Allegedly, Dan Schneider had nothing to do with SpongeBob. Nah, he's all mobbed up with Nickelodeon money though. No, it's fucking that <laughs> it's was that. All, I will not let you besmirch uh, the memory of Stephen Hillenburg like They're that. all in the same no, milieu. They're no. all on the flight logs, Justin. I, if Don't Stephen you dare Hillenburg talk bad about Stephen Hillenburg. My brains out. Honestly, I kind of want to double check now. In fact, Tyler, continue. So, after getting out of that, as friend of the pod, Mr. 50 Cent said, he was going to get rich or die trying. Damn straight. Hell yeah, man. So, so he, concocted a, he concocted a very risky scam aimed at none other than Al Capone. All right, all right. I, I, I'm so fucking sick of all these little scores. All these little scores. Selling, selling fucking Eiffel Towers. Selling bridges. I gotta get in there. I gotta scam the biggest fish of them all. I gotta get yep. in there. I gotta scam fucking Capone. What a yep. fucking ballsy move. It's a oh, very yeah. ballsy move. So, what he did was he asked uh, Al Capone for $50,000, which was just under a million dollars in today's money, for, like, some business, you know... <laughs> Yeah, let's let's thing. ask the biggest mob boss in Chicago for a loan shark loan. There's yep. no way and, this is going to go poorly. And he then let it sit in a safety <laughs> deposit box and returned it a couple months later. Why? He told Al Capone that the deal had fell through and he apologized profusely. And then asked Mr. D Mr. Capone to give him $5,000 to tide him over, just as he originally planned. Okay, so it wasn't for the 50k, it was for the 5k. It was for, it was for why, the 5k. I, okay, this is now... Because now he's like, he's like this, kid's, this kid's giving me a good business opportunity, but you look at this kid, but you know, I, he just I asked for 50,000. And then he brought it back, and Al Capone was like, look at this kid, he's so good, he brings me the money right back. Kid. He could have he could have ran right away with it, and he could, you know what, I'm going to give him 5,000 just for being a good kid. Just I, for I, being a good boy. So I, I understand why Al Capone didn't just murder him. I yeah. understand that. What I don't understand is why he couldn't just do this to, like, some dipshit nobody bookie that, like, is dumb. Versus, like, going after Al Capone, like, the most dangerous guy in America at that time. I because Al feeling... Capone wouldn't expect anybody to scam him in that way. I, I also guess... get the feeling that it's about the game for Lustig. 
No, yeah, yeah. there's. There, you think there's some psychosexual shit going on where he's I don't like, he's yeah, I think it's like it's. I don't think he's like. I don't think he's busting a nut every time he gets a scam on. But I think like this is this is his level of personal satisfaction. Oh, you think he's, he's like, leaking though? He's not busting, but he's leaking. He's. I he's think leaking. he's definitely like he's ha he's at a half chub, and like he definitely gets off to the memory later. But like he's he's got a half chub when he does it. So he's got the little little, little teardrop next to his fly, but he's not exactly busting. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So then he went into business with uh, two men from Nebraska, pharmacist William Watts and chemist Tom Shaw, and they uh, invented GHB. What? I'm kidding. No, they didn't. Okay. <laughs> I was excited. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, Tyler! <laughs> no. Fucking way to bury the lead, bud. No, they, uh... <laughs> They started counterfeiting money and actually built, like, a real sizable operation, and this attracted the attention of federal authorities. The Secret Service! So, he would, uh, then, of course, to be taken down by a scorned, that scorned bitch, Billy May, after she found out he was stepping out on her. I thought she, she was a buxom businesswoman! Wait, was yeah, Billy May the buxom business, like, the buxom, buxom madam, or was that buxom the woman that he married? <laughs> Uh, not the woman that he was the woman that he was cheating on with his wife. He cheated on the woman that he was cheating on with his wife. Well, so it's not cheating it's, if it's your wife. So, so, so the True. buxom the buxom madam killed him because he was still sleeping with his wife. Didn't kill him. Oh, just no. took him down. No, no, took she, him she, down. Yeah, just no, she reported snitched. him to the fucking police. Yeah, she snitched. She's a snitch. So we love her because she's she's stepping her pussy up. Yeah. Starting a business. Big old titties. Uh, big old titties. She's got some some real fat Nancy Pelosi's on her, and she's, but she does work with law enforcement. So we're gonna have to yes. give her worst in the industry F. Sorry. Yep. So this is the, it's. I guess this is gonna be a shorter episode, but it's a fun one. Yeah, so I'm going to. Uh, I'm having a good time. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring it all together with a uh it's 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 the end of his the ballad of uh victor lustig with a quote pretty it's a well, let's guess it's the end of the story I, this guy just wrote it really well so i want to i want to read it yeah uh, his name is uh jeff mache and it's for the uh, smithsonian magazine on december 11th 1928 businessman thomas kearns invited lustig to his massachusetts home to discuss an investment Lustig crept upstairs and stole $16,000 from a drawer. Good. Such a barefaced theft was out of character for the con man, and Kern screamed to the police. Next, Lustig had the audacity to trick a Texas sheriff with his money box, and later <laughs> gave him counterfeit cash, which attracted the attention of the Secret Service. Victor Lustig was a top man in the modern wor world of crime, wrote another agent called Frank Seckler. He was the only one I ever heard of who swindled the law. Yeah, sure, Frank. So, yeah, it's, it's, continuing it's because the nobody quote, else is going to admit to it. Yeah, continuing the quote. Yet, it was Secret Service agent Peter A. Robano who vowed to put Lustig behind bars. Robano was a heavy-set Italian-American with double chins, sad eyes, and endless ambition. You could have stopped an Italian-American. <laughs> Born and raised in the Bronx, Robano had made his oh, name by trapping. He, he made his name by trapping notorious, notorious gangster Ignacio the Wolf Lupo. Robano delighted in seeing his name in the newspapers and would dedicate many years to catching Lustig. When the Austrian entered the counterfeit banknote business in 1930, Lustig fell under Robano's crosshairs. Teaming up with the gangland forger William Watts, Lustig created banknotes so flawless they even fooled bank tellers. 
Lustig Watt's notes were the super notes of the era, says Joseph Bowling, chief judge of the American... What the fuck is that word? Spell it out. N-U-M-I-S... Numismatic? Numismatic. Numismatic. The American Numismatic Association, a specialist in authenticating notes. Lustig daringly chose to copy $100 bills, those scrutinized by most bank tellers, and became... Like some other government issuing money in rivalry with the United States Treasury, a judge later commented, it was feared that a run of fake bills this large could wobble an international confidence in the dollar. Catching uh, the Count. Because that was his nickname, too. The, was count? the count? The Count. Yeah. So he and the Varg Vikernes share a moniker? <laughs> <laughs> Catching the Count became a cat-and-mouse game for Rabano and the Secret Service. Lustig traveled with a trunk of disguises and could transform easily into a rabbi, a priest, a bellhop, or a porter. <laughs> Dressed like a baggage man, he could escape any hotel in a pinch. Sometimes he could even the same time. T- He could even take his luggage with him. But the net was closing in. Lustig finally felt a tug on the velvet collar of his Chesterfield coat on a New York street corner on May 10th, 1935. A voice ordered, Ains in the air. <laughs> Lustig studied the circle of men surrounding him and noticed Agent Rabano, who led him away in handcuffs. It was a victory for the Secret Service, but not for long. On the Sunday before Labor Day, September 1st, 1935, Lustig escaped from the inescapable Federal Detention Center in Manhattan. He fashioned a rope from the bedsheets, cut through his bars, and swung from the window like an urban Tarzan. When a group of onlookers stopped and pointed, the prisoner took a rag from his pocket and pretended to be a window cleaner. Landing on his feet, Lustig gave the audience a polite bow and then sprinted away like a deer. Police dashed to his cell, and they discovered a handwritten note on his pillow, an extract from Victor Hugo's Le Miserable. He allowed himself to be led in a promise. <laughs> I love this guy so far. This guy's Jean had Valjean had his promise, even to a convict, especially to a convict. He may give the convict confidence and guide him on the right path. Law was not made by God, and man can be wrong. Lustig evaded the law until the September night of September 28, 1935. In Pittsburgh, the dashing crook ducked in the waiting car on the city's north side. Watching from a hidden position, FBI agent G.K. Firestone gave the signal to Pol- Pittsburgh Secret Service agent Fred Gruber. The two political office or the two federal officers leapt into their car and gave chase. I bet they For left nine... these fucking bowling balls wearing, <laughs> wearing fucking ties. I bet it's, they're leaping lots of places. It's okay. GK Firestone maybe has left a couple of like he let GK Firestone left a couple of times in the war. Now he doesn't have to anymore. Fucking what's his name? Fluger. <laughs> Fred Gruber. Fred Gruber has never jumped once in his life. Dude, I, and when you were like. Well, the Secret Service had won, but not for long. I thought you were about to be <laughs> about to say, in November 22nd, 1963, the Secret Service... <laughs> 35 years like, later. I was this is the tie-in. <laughs> he's the man on the... He's, 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 he's Batman! He's Umbrella Man, actually. Was he actually the Corsican? Was it, was it actually the Austrian? Oh, it's... I have this deranged theory that the Corsican is the same guy that ended up accompanying Timothy McVeigh to that truck rental place. Because they said that he had, like, a swarthy complexion. Yeah, that just means black. 
No, no, he wasn't. They said he was like a white guy with like. Uh, that's tans. not the word they would have used if he was. You know what? That, was look up the definition the 90s, of swarthy. Tyler. No, they look up the definition of swarthy. I know what it the definition. Dark. It, it just means black. dark. It's it, it it started getting used and then applied to black people because they were being used as slaves and it, it was meant to like deride them. But that's yeah. not the point. The point is that I have a theory that it's all connected. But Timothy McVeigh, wow. not wait, a fan. Wait, wait, wait. You a having a crazy connection between between things? Between you, Colin, it makes sense. It makes sense. Have you ever looked at a map and seen how close Oklahoma and Texas are? They share a border. They're right on top of each other. It's weird. All right, so... For nine blocks, the vehicles rode neck-and-neck, neck, engines roaring. When Lustig's driver refused to stop, the agents rammed their car into his, locking their wheels together. Sparks flew. The cars crashed to a halt. The agents pulled their Secret Service weapons and threw the doors open. According to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Lustig told his captors, Well, boys, here I am. Count so Victor boys. Lustig was hauled yeah, before the judge in New York in November 1935. Quote, his pale, lean face was a study and his tapering white hands rested on the bar before the bench, observed the reporter from the New York Herald Tribune. Just before sentencing, another journalist overheard a Secret Service agent tell Lustig, Count, you're the smoothest con man that ever lived. Like, they're so horny for him. They love him so much, right? Oh, yeah. They really like, are just like, you, they're trying to said, get some of that Austrian butt. You said his driver wouldn't stop? He was yeah. in a cab, right? He wasn't like, he wasn't in a private car, ostensibly. So, like, that was back when you, if you threw enough money, I, he probably threw a bunch of counterfeit bills in him. Oh, I was like, go! Yeah. I, I love the idea that some fucking taxi driver back in like the 1930s was like, why would I stop for the Secret Service? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's so much money next to me. Well, he didn't know it was the Secret Service. Yeah, he just knew it was some oh, guy. I, I would some assume, guy chasing him. I would him. assume they were they would be yelling, right? Would Listen, they... taxi drivers are the backbone of this country. As you can tell by... That's uh, why Uber the, and Lyft the one, to be burned to the ground. The one uh, Prohibition uh, era fucking federal agent that oh the guy like, who was like how long will it take me to find how liquor long in will this it take city? me to find liquor in this city it took him 35 seconds in new orleans yeah because the taxi driver turned he, around yes, the taxi driver. where was can like, i get the some? where can i get a drink and he was like here you can get a yeah. drink in my cabin. yeah have some I, was yeah. Say, I don't even think he was i don't even think he was gonna charge the guy he was just like oh you want a nip oh yeah you want know. a nip yeah you want a nip here, <laughs> yeah, yeah i keep it to make <laughs> it's it's hey man gotta keep the shanks away it's not safe i'm driving ever since the war <laughs> ever since the war, I got the shakes. It's ever medicine, since, you see. Ever since the war and the New Orleans axe murders, I've been on edge. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I think these cops are on my tail. But <laughs> so, uh, one more sip of wine for our Austrian friend here. Yeah, pour well, one out, boys. One more for the lusty lustig. This is like the only decent thing that Germans have ever done, besides beer and like cheese and shit. So like ninety percent of my diet. Making women with big tits wear those tight tops. A German invented the pretzel. Okay, that's fair. I'll take. Uh, uh, and the sandwich. It's a short list. Oh, hey, the hamburger. Uh, the hamburger. Yeah, maybe the hamburger. No, the hamburger. The sandwich uh, reportedly was an English invention. The hamburger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the hamburger was actually invented in Rome. Really? <laughs> I don't they believe sold, it. Anyway, they sold uh like little like uh, unleavened like pita basically. With like little pieces of meat, it's essentially a burger. It's not, a, but burger doesn't involve pita bread. It sounds like pasta to me, anyway. Oh, I'm so. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Oh, a burger doesn't involve pita bread, Mr. A yes. Pop-Tart's a ravioli. Shut your fucking <laughs> mouth. Is a ravioli. You fucking Pop-tarts scum. Absolutely you, ravioli. You, you guys have fucking room temperature IQs, and you're going to come over and say, Oh, we can't put a burger in a pita. Fuck you. I'm not saying you can't. All I'm saying is that makes it not a hamburger. You're all dead to me. So, anyways, you know. He would then be sent to Alcatraz, where he would die of pneumonia on March 9th, 1947. And on oh, his wow. death Shame. on his death certificate, his occupation was listed as apprentice salesman. Do you think he ever got to hang out with Al Capone again? Hopefully. Because when did Al Capone go to Alcatraz? Because they probably were there at the same time. They might have been. It's that that was like in the very early days of Alcatraz, though. That was back in like it, like the prisoners weren't allowed to talk. Like all. Uh, Al Capone was only in Alcatraz for four and a half years. He was there from uh, 1935 to 1939. Yeah, and then the syphilis so, took all. Yeah, the they were. They away. were. He actually. He was already gone he, by the time he was in Alcatraz. Actually, no, he got sent to Alcatraz in November 1935. So yeah, he was there for the pretty much the whole time. Al, Al Capone was there. They might have. I don't know. That's cool. Maybe they could have been like, hey, remember me? I scammed you. And then Al Capone's like, I don't remember anything. (laughs) Yeah, because he's full of syphilis. Yeah, because uh, that was the whole thing is that um, there was was, like a murder plot in Alcatraz to kill Al Capone. And like over the course of them planning to murder him, they realized... Um, Al Capone's brain is just mush. Yeah, it's it's, it's literally liquid. Tertiary syphilis just hollowed him out uh, because they won't give him his syphilis medicine here and the cold is bad for him. Just a sad old man playing with his pockets. Then he died fishing in his swimming pool. The way I want to. Like Reagan? Yeah. Confused and having your secret service agent make you break up the same bag of leaves over. Yeah, over having again. my wife literally work my fucking jaw so that I can make words happen. That's exactly what I want to die. She's still hey, giving hey, you a good old hum dinger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the throat goat. They were. They probably weren't handing out like heavy fucking barbiturates to the president, so Nancy had to keep him pacified somehow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Couple, oh, couple fucking hummers a day will do that. So, fucking sponge bath, Labrador style. Um, so to finish with her tongue. That's okay. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end <laughs> with another quote from the wonderful article in the Smithsonian Magazine. Love the Somehow. Smithsonian Magazine, by the way. Oh, it's great, great. great. Got, got some great writers. A lot there. of stolen so, shit that should tons be of in the ha- shit. be in the hands of the the people that are still around. But you know, yeah. it's a fun magazine. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, Lustig's family kept his death secret for two years until August thirty fifth, nineteen or August thirty first, nineteen forty nine. But Lustig's Houdini like departure from the earth was not even his greatest deception. In March of twenty fifteen, a historian named Thomas Andre from Lustig's hometown of Hostine started a tireless search for biographical information about the town's most famous citizen. He searched through records rescued from Nazi bonfires, poured over electoral rolls and historical documents. He must have attended school in Hostine, Andre reasoned with the Hostine Bulletin. Yet he is never mentioned in the list of pupils attending the local primary school. After much searching, Andre concluded there is not a scrap of evidence that Lustig was ever born. So nobody actually knows truly who he is. His last name on his Alcatraz records were Miller. So nobody knows where he actually came from. Where he from. came from, who he is. No idea. Perfect. 
fascinating. Uh, what a fucking what a man. He won. He won, honestly. Honestly, like, he really did. Even though he got caught, he got caught in such a way. Good for him. Good for good him. Round of applause for Round of applause. That's a real one. He did a, yep. He did a, he, he had a great run. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it, these, these fucking crooks, these Elizabeth Holmes of the day, and these fucking, these fucking Mike Lindells nowadays, they need to take a look at the class. They're losers. They need to take a look at, at the true practitioners of the, the profession. Like, Mike, the, the, the ones, <laughs> the ones who scam people so rich that it would be too embarrassing for them to admit that they got scammed. My, Mike Lindell, it literally is like, Antifa women are putting psychedelic drugs in their vaginas, but and they hypnotized that, the rally did. members at January 6th, and that's what made them stampede the Capitol building, is they were going crazy, they had the uh, drugs-induced psychosis from these Antifa leftoid psychedelic drugs that they're putting in their vaginas, their he-him vaginas, their... That's what they're doing over on the left over there. And it's like, he believes all that, so he's like just as much of a fucking mark as the people that he's grifting. But this guy, this guy is like, I'm gonna he's quote, up and up. I'm gonna quote Les Miserables in my, in my, in my taunting escape letter. <laughs> yeah, after he tied bedsheets together and swung down like Tarzan. I and tried then gave to sell bow. the, the to bowed and then booked. Yeah, what I had a 50% a man. success rate on selling the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's that's that is so much more than I have already accomplished in my so life. Impressive. I hope to accomplish as much as this guy. Oh, what a man. man! What a great man! What a, oh shit! What a All right, well, one. yeah, it's there's no call to action here. I no, guess. I just like talking about old timey financial crimes because they're they're great. They're fantastic. They're, fun. they're not as depressing as modern financial crimes either. Well, um, yeah, because now nowadays it's like. Uh, they're, like, you really get down to it, and it's, like, a guy... They embezzled in a, tax money from the Humane Society Yeah, like, a guy in an office years. somewhere changed a number on a spreadsheet, and that made sure that, like, you know, a firefighter's pension disappeared overnight. Versus, like, back in the day where it's, like, I put on a, a mustache in a bellboy's outfit, and I had to sneak into the premier's uh, <laughs> private suite at the Ritz-Carlton. And then Carlton. I convinced him of a business opportunity. And then I walked out in a gorilla suit, carrying a luggage suitcase that was actually full of a fake money printing machine oh fuck oh, yeah great. fake uh, old financial crimes were so much better it's so much They're i fun. mean old crimes oh. period like back then like yeah there's horrific like inequality and nightmarish shit not that much different from today but like yeah you just you like because you could be so creative there weren't all these limitations that's honestly the, the problem i have like i you know i i believe in like prison abolition and, like, you know, basically getting rid of law enforcement. Uh, not because of all the horrible crimes they commit and how they destroy people's humanity. Uh, but because you can't get, you can't commit creative crimes anymore. And all your crimes are boring. I need more fun all crimes. All crimes are boring. They're like that, Over the like 21st that, century, all the crimes are boring. That kid in Florida who keeps getting caught impersonating a doctor. That kid is doing it right. He is yeah. doing it right. Yeah. Put on a lab coat. Put on a stethoscope. See who questions you. Yeah, the fucking Tinder swindler? Hell yeah. Go out in there and try it. Oh, that fucking... I saw that thumbnail for that Netflix documentary where they're like, there, a guy lied to me and said he was a millionaire, so I gave him a bunch of money and took him on vacation. So I, so I gave him $30,000. <laughs> like, Why'd you give him $30,000 if he's oh a millionaire? Like, this guy's great. 
this guy, you yes. deserve it. Like he I was, he earned, he earned that money. He's yelling at the money. screen like you deserve it. I wish he took you for more. <laughs> like, All right, before before we get to praising more criminals, we'll go ahead and end the show here. Yeah. It's, yep. Thank you for listening once again to Worst in the Industry. Um, we will be back next week with an episode that Moi is doing. Um, and we will... and I'll be dressed as a bellboy, and I'll escape out the back door. And I'll be in a gorilla suit. We're never going to see Tyler because he's going to come in dressed as a businessman. He's going to leave dressed as a fine lady. If I bring in a bear on a unicycle, then they'll be distracted enough for me to steal the the, the Raj's diamond from his manservant's personal valise. I'm Hank Hill, tank filled with the propane. It's like a 10K grill, it's throwaway. They never ask if I'm okay, I'm never okay. Everybody wanna cut, it's a dry vocal. I'm anti love, anti social. I'm bipolar, I'm bi coastal. I might buy one and go postal. Can I talk my shit now? I was playing two hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now. When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town. Run up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you better sit the fuck down. <laughs>